0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast
1: Network Yeah Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast we in our chat. Bitcoins we got them acquire never sell but catch us rollin' deep like a dell Bitcoin Cryptocurrency. Three guys played it talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man.
2: Hey, guys, welcome to the Bitcoin podcast episode. 166.
0: I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. And uh, boy, do we have a treat for you, or at least maybe some of you. We're finally getting back to talking about news and staying on task with how we talk about things during the roundtables. Hopefully, yes. maybe. We got
3: that vacation set us straight.
2: Having whiskey with each other on the beach made it happen. Yeah, it wasn't because of the feedback. We don't give a shit what you guys think. It's because we wanted to do this. <laughs> we made this decision for us.
3: Not yeah. had
0: nothing to do with the constant complaints of not talking about crypto.
3: <laughs> yes, nothing to do with that at all. So to get the show started, I'd like to talk about the new DLC for Street Fighter Five. Um, no I'm kidding.
2: Um, what's on the docket, Jello? Or do we have bills to pay? Uh, let, let's talk a little bit. We, I could pay bills later. Let's talk about, um, Segwit, uh, how it got called off. That's the big news. What's well, our commentary? The first,
3: the first question is, did it get called off? Because the internet is such a treasure trove of he said, she said that on Tuesday, I'm typing to all family members and people I know, the fork is off. And like running through the streets, like that bald kid in the last Matrix movie, telling everyone that the machines aren't attacking anymore, and then last night, right before I go to sleep, I'm like, "Oh, the fork is still on." So I like,
0: think our- all right. So let's let's say this. I think that there were a significant amount of people that previously backed the fork or part of the New York Agreement that, based on basically consensus of lack of or lack of consensus or or however like whichever way you want to look at it, not enough people were willing to support the fork of two X. So a good portion of the people that were backing it signed something that basically said, we're not going to do this when we're calling the fork off. We're not going to do it because of lack of consensus and following. That's going to support the, a different chain. And there is a good, I would add my personal opinion. There's a good amount of people that are still trying to take advantage of all of the ignorance and money of those trying to get, hold unquote money from a fork like they did with Bitcoin Cash. And so now that most people are saying we're not going to do it, all of that money, that, because like, there is some subset of people that were pooling all of their cryptocurrency investments into Bitcoin so that they got as much B2X, like as much of the, the forked coin as possible and then, re- and then going to rediversify afterwards. That when it got called off, everyone just started rediversifying and not waiting for the fork anymore. I feel like there's still a good portion of people that want to take advantage of people's ignorance and get that like get their money somehow or some other some way.
3: So, what I also heard in that is that does it seem like people are trying to get the most possible bang for their buck by diversifying into Bitcoin? and bitcoin cash and if there is another split then you get that much more dividends
0: well if if there's if there's support for the fork right like you can't there's no value in the coin if there isn't a community of people willing to support the coin yeah there is a potential manipulation of the sentiment where you can you know make people Buy it because they think it's going to be worth something. And then if you hold a significant amount, you just sell it off, leaving the people who thought that with a worthless coin. That happens a lot. That's what I thought was going to happen with Bitcoin Cash, but doesn't seem to be actually happening.
2: So this hurts scalability? I don't think so.
0: I mean, I don't know. To be fair, I've kind of fallen off the Bitcoin wagon. And the amount of amount of time and effort I spend in researching it. Most of my research efforts are 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 towards Ethereum, general purpose technology, other cryptocurrencies, and like novel ways of building these networks. And that's so much the like political landscape of Bitcoin forks. But it seems from my point of view that now you have two different competing. Scaling solutions for Bitcoin, Bitcoin mm-hmm. cash and Bitcoin legacy with Segwit and whoever is going to end up providing the better user experience or enterprise experience or like, like whoever ends up providing a better utility for the network will end up becoming, quote unquote, the Bitcoin. I don't believe so. no.
3: I'm starting to think on a whole other level, guys. I'm elevated, so I drank four cups of coffee yesterday. Looking at this Bitcoin cash price and looking at this Bitcoin price, that's false. I didn't drink four; it was actually three. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have done that. That was hyperbole. Uh, I see a new world. This is the world I see. Why can't Bitcoin cash be what the crypto anarchists want? You want to go to a coffee shop and you want a big old cappuccino, and a side of Hot Cheetos. Spend your Bitcoin cash on it. You want to invest in the future commonwealth of your family and lineage? Put your value into Bitcoin.
2: I saw A New World too. What was it? Uh, It was that movie with Colin Farrell about Pocahontas.
3: Ah, that was a bad one, I thought.
2: Yeah, it wasn't good. I didn't say it was a good one. Just saw the new world. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> so, so you're saying that my, 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 uh, Negro Dama's vision is, is shit. I don't
0: That's see a reason I mean. for it. Like, I don't, I don't see, I personally don't see like a rational, rationalization for it. That's yeah, cool, but why? Why would you do that? If one of the coins know, can provide, there's no reason that one of these coins can't provide all of the scenarios you need.
3: Not all the time things need to be so rational, man. There's no rational reason to go, look at, go fla- like plant a flag in a big-ass rock that floats around our planet, but we did that shit just to say we could.
4: I'm okay. just saying, like,
3: not everything is so rational, and if markets are irrational as a base unit of an independency in the function of a market, then why can't we shepherd the masses into that ideology? That, hey, that Bitcoin that moves slow, it's not the best to buy things with. It's not the best to build commerce off of it uh, at the moment.
0: I just don't you see it wanna... as stable. It's not stable. Like, it's not one of those things. Like, people like it and like using it because it's so early and the price is raising. But I don't yeah, feel was... like the reason for the price rise is is good. It's not. It's not a healthy reason for the price rise. It's people just, it's just hoarding. The... How? But with no real, like you can't use it. It's too expensive to use, and and the technologies that you need to build on top, layer two technologies that are required to make Bitcoin Segwit scale, are just slow. It's taking forever for them to build on top of it. Like Ethereum has made the Raiden network and Micro Raiden. Uh, they're working on Plasma. There's a lot of scaling solutions that they're doing to make Ethereum scale. And they've done it in a time frame that's significantly faster than Bitcoin. There's no reason to say Bitcoin can't do these things. And it needs to if it wants to scale. At least Bitcoin Cash is usable right now. That may be because there's not enough users trying to use it. It may be su- it may suffer the exact same issues. I don't know. Ethereum's
3: like, going to suffer the exact same issues when people start using it a lot, too.
0: People are using <laughs> it. It already has higher... Yeah higher metrics for every other thing except yes for
3: that's very true but it's also put in so many damn multipliers those metrics almost there's what's the what's the uh constant of proportionality when you have blocks every 14 seconds and you have ether coming into the system every 14 seconds like you can't make the same it's not it's not apples to apples it's uh apples to lemons like they're both fruit but they have very contrasting
0: and people Asics. send money using ethereum faster than bitcoin at a, at a, at a rate that question, at a rate faster than bitcoin at the cheaper the answer to that question than is
3: bitcoin. yes the answer to that question is yes and the other answer to that question is yes however cello and i just last week at the end of devcon did an ether transaction and because there was so much rigmarole going on it took a half an hour for that thing
0: to get confirmed it took forever How'd you do it, Coinbase?
3: No, that's that shouldn't be the question. Don't try to defend Ethereum now, sir.
0: Objection. Uh, I'm hearsay. asking the technical technical <clears throat> ways in which you did things. Those make a difference. We sent
3: it through. We sent it through Coinbase because they have the best blue color in the biz. Okay. Yes, we sent it through Coinbase. Yes, everyone knows Coinbase has issues deciding what their gas limit should be on their contracts. But that is a that is objection. That's a hearsay, objection hearsay. It took 30 minutes for Cello to do what he wanted to do with his Ether.
0: All right, here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, another question on top of that. Can you also do all of the other things that Ethereum is doing on top of the yes answers you just previously gave me? Simultaneously? Yeah. I, Ophelia's got it. Yes. There's no reason. I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> that Bitcoin can't do these things. It can eventually but it's not developing itself fast enough to keep up. It's it's just it's just not keeping up. And and the price rise is not reflective of the ability to use the token. It's something else.
2: Bitcoin's store of yep. value though. It's it's not in that's any
3: way That's what people threatened. say.
0: That's what you say. That's the that's the re, that's the only thing you can say when you can't use the token. It's a store of value. That's what it's always been.
3: You know what? When it comes to the development of Bitcoin, I'd like to channel one of my favorite songs on the planet by uh, Tenacious D. Um, what is it? Fuck her softly or slowly. You don't always you don't have, always to, have to develop hard. In fact, sometimes it's not right to do. No, you that's just not. Gotta,
0: you've got it wrong. You again. just got to like,
3: make some love. You just got to got like again. take it slow. Like you, You don't always have to go to pound town with development. Sometimes you got to. Take it slow, warm it up. You know, light the candles. Pay that's, attention to the things disgusting. that you don't normally pay attention to. Get tertiary with what you stimulate, and then you go in. Then you, you go in for the kill. You can't and just you say random words
0: best. and expect people to believe you. It. That's you don't have to change the protocol to make Bitcoin work. We've been saying this for the past whatever. We need SegWit to make changes. <laughs> We have SegWit. No changes are being made.
3: You just hate metaphors.
0: I no, I don't like metaphors that aren't good.
2: That was a great metaphor for development. All right, guys. I'm like Bill Maher. Next topic. All right. Okay. Um,
0: Agreed to disagree. ATMs. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how there's no up. use
3: for them in today's academy. I mean, academy. <laughs> oh,
2: there <laughs> is. There is. Uh, well,
3: What's the use for an ATM? What was the last time you went to an ATM?
2: There's two things for ATMs. One, if you put them in college campuses, it's a good way to on-ramp students. Number two, put them in developing countries, and now the unbanked has an opportunity to have financial services.
0: Here's the thing okay, about the developing so countries what? that there's there's a slight problem with maybe is that if your developing country has a incredibly shitty currency that doesn't hold value, like how do you maintain an, a, a, a Bitcoin or cryptocurrency ATM when you have to like, weigh how much your your value of your money is and by like wheelbarrows and how much it weighs like the de- denomination sucks you can't maintain you said that for you. a stable exchange of a of a of a failing currency so like people aren't going to use, use the btms
3: use one of the great many stable coins that exist in the crypto economy already
0: maybe that's where they thrive i don't know but like
2: I was I was hoping you'd laugh at that because stable coins are laughable.
0: But...
2: <laughs> and also, ATMs are faster than going through an exchange. So you well, the theoretically. The uh,
3: for you, Cello, because it takes you 30 minutes to make an exchange. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it takes you 48 hours to make an exchange. If you built an exchange, you should call it the great 48.
1: <laughs>
3: People are like, "What? Like, it takes forty eight hours to get it done right." The first forty eight,
2: just yeah, sitting there, first, waiting for the my first, transaction to come
3: through. The first forty eight, or plus forty eight—that's what you should call it. Because then, in like in exchange terms, they use like plus zero, plus five for uh, timestamps or whatever. So,
0: plus yeah, forty eight. So, talking about that, and I, I bring this up. This is relevant because our interview is about Bitcoin ATMs this episode. But Cello, during the Cancun week, uh, gave me and Dimitrik a book that he wanted us to read. And I've, I'm about three quarters of the way through it right now. It's called, you- I think it's called Crossing the Chasm. Chasm. Chasm, chasm, however you want to say that word. It's definitely it's, chasm. Whatever. It's about like how you market specific materials to the various. People on the adoption curve, right? So you have like innovators, early thinkers, then early early adopters, late adopters, and laggards. Like, and each of these subsects of groups, like subsections, has different things that they need a technology to be in order for them to actually use it. And how you market whatever you're doing, depending on how far along it is, is is heavily dependent on who you're marketing it to and when it comes to like bitcoin atms like i i only feel maybe i'm wrong about this i bring it up in the interview like you're 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 gaining access to the majority of the latter half of that curve which is like late adopters and conservatives who don't want to change their lifestyle whatsoever yes when thinking about technology or new technology
3: yes i agree i vote for that thought because um votes matter we live in america where freedom reigns but i vote for that thought because i haven't been to i go to the atm for one reason and one reason alone in my life and that's to get the cash to pay my barber because they only take cash that's it i, I don't go to are not so, crossing the chasm did you say black barbers are not crossing the chasm barber shops no on, well guys. There's an old school nature to being able to sit down and kick it with your barber, you know, relinquish they're Luddites. They're Luddites. all of your. Uh, yeah. Well, they're just in an old school, like one of the very first things like first. The first business was uh, prostitution. The second business was dudes need to look good for the prostitutes. So that's why barbers are so intimate to society. Yeah, but all black Easter
2: barbers have effects and they can um, get spare pay. What did you say? So all black black people, wait. This is gonna sound. Wait. Let's <laughs> see where this I'm goes. Black, Let's so see where this I'll goes. Giving you a pass. And you're half black, so <laughs> all all black business owners have iPhones. This is true. This is and it. they can get Square Pay, and they don't have to just accept cash. That's laziness on their part. Okay, so
3: I'm gonna have to defend you and myself on this one. Being members of the black community, a lot of them have Androids now, and two. Um, a lot of them have square cash as well, so it's just a slow, they're late,
2: late, late adopt, late majority. That's all, but I mean, there's three million traditional ATMs, and there's only like a thousand crypto ATMs. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a big advocate for ATMs, but I just feel like, hey, there should be more.
0: Well, yeah, maybe like Let's let the interview. Speak to this because, like, yeah, I, I, don't was, want, I don't want to be redundant in the stuff we talk about, and we talk about it during this interview. But it,
3: speaking of uh, exchanging, let's exchange on into that interview. Is that a good segue?
0: I feel like you could do better.
3: I've
2: done better.
0: Shall you want to give it a shot? want to give it a shot?
2: Uh, yeah. Uh, so CoinMe is a, uh, a venture backed crypto financial service. That wasn't a segue at all. You just started talking about who they are. Oh, speaking of ATMs, uh, I mean, is that all I had to say before what I was going to say? Fine. Speaking of ATMs, uh, Uptoken and CoinMe have created a partnership to create the largest crypto ATM network
0: in the world. world, uh, world.
2: Could have been you, Athena, Bitcoin, but you're not our sponsor anymore. So,
0: Chelo, you're such a marketer.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you believe? Ah, uh, they're they're both good. They're both good. Um, but the cool thing about this one is JR Willett is kind of behind it—the the up token sale—and he's the guy that created the first ICO ever. And I have a really cool analogy about hamburgers. So listen to this whole interview; it's a good one. All right. Well, without further ado, he. All right, guys, it is interview time. And uh, the, the Bitcoin podcast, uh, we're all about good track records. And today on the show, we have UpToken, which is the perfect token sale. And that might be kind of a bold statement, but our guest JR predicted in 2010 that Bitcoin, would be, it would be big, and lo and behold, look what happened. And then in 2012, he kind of incepted the ICO. And, you know, at first I was thinking, you know, that, when I was looking at kind of the background that, you know, ATMs are kind of, they're kind of 1980s. But then once I kind of saw the people involved, my ears kind of perked up and I wanted to learn more. And I'm a very self-aware person. So I kind of get that history suggests that only a few visionary people are going to listen to this, but look, sign up for the token sale at uptoken.org and kind of like that guy from Reading Rainbow used to say all the time, you know, don't take my word for it. So we invited uh, in the house today, uh, Mr. J.R. Willett. How's it going? Hey, it's going great. Thanks for having me on your show. Not a problem at all. Um, for, for those that kind of don't know, I kind of touched on, you know, kind of your claim to fame was kind of the ICO thing. But for people who aren't familiar, could you kind of give us a little introduction on who you are and kind of how you kind of fell into the space?
5: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fun story. Uh, 2010 was when I first started learning about Bitcoin and bit uh, Bitcoin at the time at that time was 25 cents. And I remember hanging out on the Bitcoin forum and seeing people, um, freaking out because the price of Bitcoin had gone from under a penny to over 25 cents over the, just a very short period of time. And they were saying things like, this is a bubble. It's unsustainable. You know, it's going to end in tears. Uh, and you know, many of the same things that we've been hearing ever since then. Right. But at, at that time it, that was, you know, probably the very first big run up in bitcoin prices and uh i remember looking at you know everything about i was really falling down the rabbit hole and i'm sure m- many of your listeners can appreciate what that's like uh when you when you first start learning about cryptocurrency and you just sort of it's all you talk about and you annoy all your friends and family and everybody thinks that you've fallen into a ponzi scheme and you're like no it's it's going to be big you guys don't understand uh that was that was me in twenty ten uh and my my wife uh especially was very skeptical about uh, what I was doing and uh you know this magic internet money thing you know i was I was telling her things like well I could wire money to this there's this website it's called mount gox uh, It kind of looks sketchy but you know I, hmm. you can you can send money in there and then the, you can then t- trade it for bitcoin and or if we don't want to do that i can I can take an envelope and put some twenty dollar bills in it and I can mail this guy in Canada, and he will send me this magic internet money. And it's going to be so big someday. So you can imagine, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can
5: imagine how that conversation went, right? Uh, and so the, months went by with me arguing with my wife about this. You know, we had two small children, one on the way, and we um, didn't have a lot of money to spare. So it was a long conversation. And finally, my birthday came around, which is near Christmas, and she finally said, "Okay." Here's two hundred dollars. You can flush it down the toilet if you want to. And so that was it. That was that was my start. And I actually got started with that two hundred dollars. I got started mining. Uh, I not on my own. I actually I took the Bitcoin mining software and I wrote a wrapper around it to disguise it. And I um, I got random people on Craigslist who had video cards to run it. I just told them it was a cryptography project. I paid them in advance every month. And I had people all over mostly in the United States, but all over the world, uh, running the Bitcoin mining software on their video cards, not knowing what it was, and uh, paying them every month to do that. So that was wow. 2011, I, I did that all through 2011. And in uh, 2012, I started, well, before the end of 2011, early 2012, I started working on a paper about how to um, build a protocol layer on top of Bitcoin. And this is what I when I started really getting, you know, I didn't want to just be a miner I wanted to to push the ball forward. I didn't know what that looked like. I spent a long time thinking about what what's going to happen with cryptocurrency. And I started thinking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular as not just money or just a payment system, but as a platform on which I could build other things uh and so that that was the genesis of the what we call today the initial coin offering now the way the the way the initial coin offering happened was i needed a way to pay for all my crazy ideas and it didn't really seem that novel to me to say hey i'm going to put a bitcoin address up and here's my white paper and anybody who sends money to that address uh will own a piece of what i'm building um it seemed fairly straightforward and simple um And that's what I did. I just put a Bitcoin address on the Bitcoin forum and uh, linked to my white paper. Uh, However, there's a there's a time gap there from the time I published the paper that described how to do the first initial coin offering to the time I actually did it was a year and a half. And the reason for that is I was hoping someone else would do it. I didn't want to play entrepreneur. I wanted someone else to do the entrepreneur and do all the hard work so I could just send them the Bitcoins that I had been mining over 2011. I'd, I I wanted to be a passive investor. So I was just waiting for someone to take my idea and run with it. And nobody did. Uh, I even went to a conference. There's actually a video of me at this conference. Basically, you know, I'm on a panel, right? I'm begging the audience. I'm like, someone please do this. Uh, I want to send my send you my bitcoins, and you know the the audience thought that was amusing, but but again nobody did it. Um, so, what
2: kind of ideas would you have been open to at that at that that I guess 18
5: months that kind of went
2: by? Well,
5: were, were I had you- a, the, this paper described down to the byte level, you know, how to build a protocol layer on top of Bitcoin, and it described how to raise money to do it. And I just thought, well, surely someone will do this. You know, I've I've given them the complete roadmap to you know. Every you know everything was there uh, how to raise the money how to how to write the software it was it was all there, uh, but nobody did it and, you know I, I I even called it the second bitcoin white paper that's that that was the initial draft the second bitcoin white paper and i i said that I called it that just to stir up controversy right because there's so many uh opinionated people I knew that 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 would you know light a fire and cause people to, all the trolls to come out of the woodwork and I figured i'd get some uh, controversy and the people wouldn't ignore my paper. Um, so, but, uh, and people did read it and they, they read it, they talked about it. They thought it was an interesting idea, but, uh, I couldn't get anybody to actually commit to doing it. So, you know, a year and a half had gone by. I had just spoken at the San Jose conference where that video I mentioned happened. And, uh, and I was thinking, I, this, nobody's going to do this. I better just, just do it. So um, that's when I published on the Bitcoin address on the forum, on the Bitcoin forum, and um, random people over the course of about 30 days sent me half a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, and that was the first initial coin offering. <laughs>
0: and back then, that, that was like, that was huge, and like, you didn't
5: have yeah, nobody had done anything infra- like that before. You didn't, have,
0: you didn't have the infrastructure that we currently have to make it like the in- the barrier to entry and kind of since no one had done it before, like people were taking a lot of like us bets on just throwing money at something. Like it was really throwing the money at the wall. They had to at least believe you and then hope that what you did wasn't just take their money and run.
5: That's exactly what happened. Yeah. And they they had to they had to completely trust me, you know, I, I wasn't anonymous. You know, I had you yeah. know I'd linked to my LinkedIn profile and, and um you know I had the video of me talking at the conference and and my my paper, which I had been uh, pimping on that forum for a year and a half, obviously. So you know it, it, I was not just a random stranger out of nowhere but yeah I mean it, it was a big leap of faith for people and and you know it paid off um the uh it, so the 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 token that I released was called Mastercoin it's been renamed today it's called Omni but uh Omni went from uh the then the initial offering it went up a hundredfold I you know I hadn't really done any advertising you know like today you see all these banner ads everywhere and like, the only way people would have found out about my project was if they happened to be on the forum at the time that I did this. So, you know, very few people participated in this offering compared to who could have participated. Um, you know, a, a couple uh, Bitcoin venture capitalists found out about it. And I think that's where a lot of the money came from. But uh, I, most of the press came after the coin offering, you know, it, it, after it was all done. Uh, people started, you know, we started building uh, the platform and people started saying, Whoa, these guys are building decentralized exchange and, and, you know, smart contracts on top of Bitcoin. And it, all of a sudden it became this big deal and the price went up literally a hundred fold. Uh, and then, um, you know, at, at the peak of that or close to the peak of it, I sold about two or 3% of what I had and that's all I ever sold. And it was just enough to quit my job. And I thought, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to quit my job and, and focus on this full time. It was enough to make my wife happy, basically, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then it wasn't long after that that Ethereum started uh, started and uh, kind of uh, there were a couple other projects that started doing very similar things to what we were doing, and you know all, all the attention started going other places, and you know then then the the price of Omni dropped quite a bit from its peak, and I started you know once <laughs> once the money that I had sold ran out, I started thinking oh man I'm going to have to either sell more omni at this much lower price or i'm going to have to go back to my day job so i actually literally went back to my day job rather than you know hurt my project by selling you know selling a bunch of it so you um, that that was that was Om- omni is still going today by the way it, it hosts uh half a billion dollars worth of assets the two biggest are um uh, made safe and tether uh and you know the people, the people. The 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 team is still going strong. Is still working on it. I'm so proud of the guys that that built that. You know, I built very little of that. I wrote the paper, and I basically handed it off uh, to the software developers, which we hired and uh, who are brilliant people, and and made it actually happen. So they they deserve the credit for building that that ecosystem. Um,
2: yeah, but you know, at the same time, and I, I kinda wanted to talk about the claim of uh, you know, quote unquote the perfect token sale, because I don't know how people are gonna take that. But if I'm in a restaurant and I get a hamburger and the guy says, Oh, well, you know, in the back of the restaurant is the guy who invented the hamburger. It is the perfect <laughs> hamburger. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit, you know more optimistic. I'd be like, yeah, this is going to be a damn good hamburger at the very least. So is that kind of what it is? Like you couple with your history and the validity and maybe your track record and you rolled that all in the one and then maybe your confidence level and you're smarter than you were six years ago. Are all those sure. factors into kind of this new project?
5: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, another, another thing to think about is um, I'm incredibly picky with my hamburgers, right? Like I, haven't had a hamburger since that first hamburger because all the hamburgers that came in
1: between were not good. <laughs> <laughs> all right?
5: So yeah. like this is, um, you know, obviously there's been, uh, thousands of these coin offerings of varying si- sizes and, um, you know, and, and I, I, don't want to say they're not, they're not good. I mean, there was been some very good hamburgers. They just weren't really, they didn't meet my very exacting criteria. Um, and I'll and let me just tell you a little bit about that. Uh, I, I, there, there. Nobody knows what the big cryptocurrency is going to be five years, ten years from now. It could be one of the ones that are that are big today. It could be something that's in someone's head right now that has not even uh, been spoken about. Uh, we just don't know. And so, I like getting involved with. You know, if there's a gold rush on. I like to be the guy selling shovels, not the guy digging. OK, so I, I don't know whether the Bitcoin hill is where all the gold is going to be or the Ethereum hill or some other hill that's uh, just being formed. But I, I want to be the guy selling shovels. And so, uh, you know, that actually was a large part of, of why I, I built Omni and designed it was I was looking for something that could be infrastructure, something that other people could build on top of and uh so this idea of infrastructure I, after i built omni and i saw that people could just fork it you know and uh and build their own slightly modified version of it which happened multiple times and uh and or or in the as in the case of ethereum they could take some of those ideas and and build a you know very different project uh, but you know using some of those ideas they did a token sale and they um, I, Vitalik's very nice that he uh, he credited our project with some of the ideas that helped that he built on top of right so um, yeah so you know the, all these other projects can sort of you know there's not a big moat around you I guess is the way to say it, when you build software infrastructure in an open source environment right we've got no patents you know I can't uh, you know when you open source a cryptocurrency you know if you tried to make a patent the Everyone would would hate you, right? That's not that's the yep. um, that's not the uh, the environment we live in. So you know, if you want to, if you want to do something that has a moat around it, uh, I started to realize it it really can't be software infrastructure. It's going to have to be something else. And so, it it, uh, it took a while to find something like that. You know, when you get into hardware, there aren't a lot of hardware things going on in uh, the cryptocurrency world. There's mining, obviously, is probably the biggest thing, uh, and that's a very crowded space. And you know, there's hardware wallets, um, and then there's these ATMs, which I didn't really even like. Like you mentioned at the top of the of the podcast, you know, it seemed like something you know I'd heard about them, but it seemed like something from the last century, not something that we would uh, uh, make a big deal of uh, going in going and uh, going forward. Right. Uh, so yeah. So, but I got involved with this uh, ATM company here in Seattle, where I live. And I started looking at their business, and I started realizing that this is, this is something really amazing. Now let me let me tell you how that happened. So I I started talking to Neil and Michael, uh, who run Coinme, uh, and they were interested in the, helping someone with a token sale. They had sort of this idea that they wanted to do, and I started looking at their business. Uh, so I decided I'd go visit one of their ATMs. There's one near my house, and uh, you know I put a twenty dollar bill in and got my Bitcoin out. I thought, wow, that's that was instant right I didn't I didn't have to go hook my bank account up to anything you know I didn't have to wait for them to verify my identity you know that you know you didn't have to wait three to five days or whatever whatever it is. It was just money in Bitcoin out and uh, I thought, wow, that's amazing and I turned around and there was another guy waiting to use the ATM behind me. I thought i had, I thought this was just a novelty right you know it's like there's people actually using this and the guy was really excited and wanted to talk to me all about bitcoin and everything <laughs> so you know that that's that opened my mind a little bit i thought okay there's something here so i went and I talked to neil and, and michael about this and they said this atm business is huge the each atm on average does a hundred thousand dollars a month you know as I was like, really? (laughs) I had no idea that they were doing that much business. And it was those things I mentioned, you know, is instant. It doesn't hook up to your bank account. And it reaches people that normally wouldn't be able to be involved with cryptocurrency. You know, we we kind of have this insular uh, view of the world. If you live in the Silicon Valley or you live in Seattle or one of these other tech hubs, you know, you sort of assume that everyone is like you and lives their life in this online world, where if it's not a web service, it might as well not exist, most of the world is not like that, and there's a huge number of people, even in these tech hubs, who live their life in cash and who or who don't want to hook their bank up account a bank account up to some sketchy uh, you know i I don't really think that you know coinbase is sketchy, but you know if you're new to Bitcoin uh And you've heard about all the you know i don't know the the people buying drugs and you know all the things that happen with cryptocurrency and with cash you know you might you might be a little reluctant to hook something up to your bank account and so for a new user um this is a revelation they can walk into a mall or a convenience store with and stick their cash in and get cryptocurrency out and it we find uh, you know as i as I talked to these guys they they said you know most of these people are new to cryptocurrency and most of them you know the atm is their gateway to cryptocurrency
0: if i could and so if i want to this
5: started yeah. coming in just a
0: little bit there is that like there's there's a few problems that i have i like, guess you're you're exactly right uh, it is the easiest way to get bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrencies that your btm offers but it 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 comes at the price at really hard, really high markups yeah and yes, it seems as though like this is taking advantage of like the lagging side of an adoption curve. People who don't like people you're taking advantage of the like the latter end, which is a very large portion of people of like the adoption curve. And but over time, that's going to change. Is this something like and and you can charge a very hard markup because they're not aware of the fact they can get more Bitcoin for their money on an online platform or is it maybe the markup of not having the know your customer type of things and instant- instantaneity of it
5: yeah so you so you're right that the fees are uh higher than online i think the CoinMe's ATMs range between 5 and 10% for instance uh and so that that is a big fee especially if you're going to buy a lot of cryptocurrency um and you know i think people if they are going to be a hardcore crypto nerd right they're going to they're going to graduate to other other forms of doing this um this is though I, there's a lot of people though we that are repeat customers and it's interesting i think they and they tend to be heavy users and i think it's because they live their lives in cash uh, and you know don't want their bank account for various reasons associated with it um so let but let's talk about those fees right if you build a massive ATM network, you know, most of these ATM operators have a few ATMs, you know, maybe a lot of them have just two or three. CoinMe has 40. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they're deploying more all the time. But uh, if you can get hundreds or thousands of ATMs, uh, or tens of thousands of ATMs, you are able to drive down your cost across the whole business because you have some costs that are fixed and some that are per ATM. And as you get these economies of scale, you know, for instance, you can negotiate, uh, with, with a manufacturer of, you know, they would coin me in their case, they, they do a lot of the hardware design as well. Um, you know, they they can drive down the cost of the ATM. They can um, negotiate contracts with malls and um, convenience stores and um, br- they can bring down costs across the whole business and bring those those percentages down to a lot closer to online. So that's one of the reasons that they're doing this token sale is to get a massive scale uh, across the whole world um, and be able to bring, bring those uh, percentages down. Um, so yeah, so the, the, yeah, you're, you're right that, uh, that if you only, if you live your life online, like, um, us Silicon Valley in Seattle and, you know, a few other places, nerds, you know, yeah, you're probably not going to start with an ATM, but if, you know, unless maybe you want money right away, if you want cryptocurrency, you don't want to wait for it. An ATM is probably still your best option. Uh, you know, either that or, or meeting somebody that you don't know in a coffee shop, but, uh, you know i think most people would choose an atm you know uh, rather than uh, roll the dice with a, a stranger yeah. so uh do you, do you want me to talk i'd love to talk a little bit about the way we structured uptoken because the um the way it's structured is a lot of why i call it the perfect token sale
0: yeah that's a that's a perfect like transition to like i've been i've been incredibly critical of of, of token sales ever since they've kind of hit the mainstream and become this this tool of people to raise money and then the irrational exuberance around them. And as well as the investor distributions of like, who's actually getting the majority of the tokens and what that means yes. about the influence of those, of those token pools. And yes. it's, it's not incredibly, although it, the information is transparent, if you look, nobody's really looked until I started writing a few articles about it. So I wanted to see if you had taken that into account when de- like designing up token and how you designed it to to kind of be fairly distributed or like just or at least the motivation behind how you designed it yeah token
5: in the first place well i don't know if the things that bother you are the things that bother me but i can tell you one of the things that bothers me is the um what you might call the the pre-sale and basically mm-hmm. what that involves is they go around to a bunch of really rich people and they say hey i will give you i don't know 50 percent off the this token and you know you can buy millions of dollars worth of it and then when the token sale happens then you know the public will get in and it'll be traded on secondary markets and then you can dump yours at purchase at this very discounted price on yeah. the market and pretty much be guaranteed to make a profit and so this has been you know, and you're basically screwing over the the public when you do your token sale and the people in the secondary markets when they when they try to get in and and you we, we've seen this sort of trend especially in the last year where this has been more and more pre pre-ico right and um and in fact we've seen more and more of the money be raised during the pre-ico because pre-sale because people realize that, uh, that's the only time that you can get in profitably on some of these token sales. So it's, it's, it's become a a, a mess. And, and in fact, I think you've probably, I don't know if you followed the, these token sales, I think you've probably noticed some of them, um, as soon as they go live, the price of these tokens crashes as you know, like these major insiders. And, and the other thing is that, you know, they give a ton of it away to advisors and, mm-hmm. um, you know various other insiders you know they all get a big chunk of the pie for free basically or for for giving some advice or for putting their name on it i can't tell you how many people probably dozens uh, sometimes dozens a day email me or message me and say hey can you put be an advisor on my token sale and they don't really want me to do anything but put my name on their project and you know i could have a big chunk of their tokens which I could then dump on the market and I don't do that because it's it's just it's, it smells bad to me I, I I can't tell you how much this bothers me and um, I can relate so so this sort of this sort of thing is happening and so I, when, I, when I told Neil and Michael is, I said we need to build the coin that we want to buy I you know that's the reason UpToken exists is because I wanted to buy it basically and I said Neil and Michael if you build this thing, I will buy. It. I don't know if anybody else will buy it, but I will buy it. You know, because I think we can make something really compelling. And so, rather than grant ourselves a giant chunk of coin and grant all our friends giant chunks of coin and and go around and talk to investors and give them, you know, massive discounts, we built something and we bought it ourselves with our own money. <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, it's the, like the furthest you could get from that. Nasty cronyism that people do. Um, So, and we and we did reserve, I I think, twenty five percent for the company's future use. However, it's locked. Uh, they can't just dump it on on the market. It, they have to deploy 500 ATMs before they can even touch it. And then when they do touch it, it's it's rate limited at a very low rate of you know how how quickly they can access it. So, uh, and that's the reason we did that is uh, not to enrich the company, but to give the market an assurance that our our incentives are aligned with theirs, right? So like if we've got a bunch of the coin uh, that is only um accessible in, in the distant future and only once we've you know kept our promises to deploy a whole bunch of ATMs you know that gives the market confidence that uh, that our incentives are aligned with theirs so so yeah i i, I put over a million dollars into the token sale as soon as it started and i didn't get anything special i didn't get any you know I, there's a, a, a discount on um how early you get into the token sale that's the only thing i got i got it along with everyone else so That, um, you know, that, that's, that's one thing, um, talking about other things that really make this special and different, uh, the, uh, the up token can be used to determine which coins get added to the ATMs. And that's a big deal to me. And that's going to be a big deal to a lot of other people who are passionate about a particular coin. Now, obviously Omni has been my baby for many years and it's still my baby. And I, I'm hoping that to to win one of these um, auctions that we're going to hold uh, in order to make Omni, uh, basically put an Omni ATM on every corner, right? If, if Omni gets added to these ATMs, as I as I, as I hope it does. Um, and there's other people that, that are very passionate about their token or coin uh, who I believe will be wanting to hold up tokens so that they can uh, vote for their coin to be added to the ATM. So you can sort of see how... Um, you know, we, I think we're going to someday have a trillion dollar coin. I don't know which one it's going to be. It might be one of the ones we have now. It might be something new. Um, and if you imagine when that happens or as it's happening, uh, what would the major holders of that coin be willing to pay to have their coin on an, on ATMs all around the world, which are introducing people to cryptocurrency? I think, I think it would be a big number. So that, that's, um, that's one of the crypto economic things that I'm excited about with could, UpToken.
0: If I could maybe try and, and like re- rephrase your words so that I get it in my head correctly. You, you've built, you're trying to use UpToken or the money raised from the UpToken ICO to build a hardware infrastructure that reaches the latter half of the adoption curve community. And then yeah. the purpose of that token is then to basically... Incentivize people to gain exposure to that community, correct?
5: Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it, it's you know you could basically think of it as a, a marketing cost for one of yeah. these new coins, right? Yeah. uh And and I it's interesting that we, we call it the latter half of the adoption curve. I think in developing countries where mm-hmm. they don't even have banking infrastructure, that's true. You now there's a lot of the adoption curve that hasn't happened there, and if you think about landlines in developing countries, right? Did they, they did not lay copper wire all over the place in order to, to do telephone calls. They went straight to cell towers, right? They, they skipped a step. They skipped the, you know, we all have, copper wires everywhere uh, here in the developing world and the developed world. But in the developing world, they they said, I oh, don't know, we're not going to lay copper wires. We're going to go straight to cell towers. And I'm hoping that that the developing world will skip building a giant banking infrastructure and, you know, having their equivalent of the Federal Reserve. As, you know, as we've seen in these developing countries, they tend to make a giant mess of it when they try that. Uh, and I, I'm hoping they'll skip straight to cryptocurrency and that these physical portals, will be much more than ATMs. They will be um, buying and selling cryptocurrency, um, trading cryptocurrencies, uh, sending and receiving to other people, you know, um, know, other financial services that they don't, they they don't currently have access to at all. Uh, You know, for instance, CoinMe is getting into um, retirement accounts, 401ks and IRAs, things like that. Um, So these, these physical portals are kind of a gateway you know, we we talk about them as ATMs because that's what people understand they they take cash in they take cash out but they do so much more than that and I and I think um in especially in the developing world they will be what they have instead of a bank someday that's let the me, hope
0: let me rephrase my my initial statement then and say that this is this is trying to take advantage of of controlling the the portal to whatever a network of cryptocurrency ATMs can offer this community as opposed to right. You know, the, the, the latter latter half of the adoption curve is just a portion of all of the use cases that people could potentially use a, a cryptocurrency ATM. And you're right. trying to control the like what coins are offered in this giant in infrastructure that you're building.
5: Right. And and the idea that we can get completely away from a, a banking model I think is naive. Uh, It's true for, uh, you know, a few very sophisticated people that they can keep their life savings on, you know, in paper wallets and safe deposit boxes and, uh, you know, you know, that they can understand all the private key stuff that's required to do that. But I think the 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 general public is not going to make that leap. You know, they're going to do what they have done for hundreds of years. They're not going to carry their life savings around on a smartphone or a laptop. They're going to want to go to a secure, well-lit location and just get out what they need for the next week Um, because that's what they've always done. And it's risky to try to hold all that stuff yourself. They're going to want a trusted third party to do that for them. And I think that's why we will always have cryptocurrency infrastructure, you know, holding, uh, you know, basically um, taking on the role of what banks do today. And, you know, CoinMe, so CoinMe wants to, be that and the ATMs are our gateway to doing that um I, the, the most important um economic thing going on with uptoken is the 1% uh cashback uh, to customers so well, the way this works is coinme is continually forever going to be purchasing uptoken uh to the tune of 1% of their atm transactions so if we've got you know, thousands of ATMs, you know, you can just do the math. Uh, it'll be 1% of whatever those ATMs do. And th- that, that purchased up token works like airline miles. Uh, if you fly on an airline, you get, um, you know, some, some, however many miles, but you can't use them right away, right? You've got to build them up and then you can use them for various things. Well, up token, it gets purchased by coinme it gets sent given to the customer who who is doing these atm transactions and once they build some up then they can i think it's 10000 dollars us uh, worth of transactions then they can do things like i they can sell their up token or or send it to someone else uh, in the meantime the only thing they can use it for is to pay their atm fees and they get a discount okay so they get uh, they get 30% off of all their ATM fees that are paid with upToken, that is the the base one of the the utilities of this token is a, is a, it's basically a discount on ATM fees. So now, if you just purchase it in the crowd sale, right, you can you, it's it's not locked or restricted in any way. But if you if you're if you're earning upToken by using an ATM, this becomes a loyalty program. Uh, you know your, your upToken aren't going to work at somebody else's ATM. They're the only will. Give you a discount at these uh, CoinMe ATMs, so that becomes sort of the central economic engine that is that is running and and keeping you know the, the CoinMe constantly buying ATM like buying these up tokens on the uh, open market uh, is, is sort of the 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 engine of that will, that will drive everything.
2: Well, JR, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of let people in on the token sale. I, I want to let people know that um, from an aesthetic point of view, I, I like the whole thing. There's 24-7 support. You guys have a really attractive uh, website. Um, you guys give discounts, which is really nice. And I think the live sale is only going on for another week or so. So I want to encourage everybody to kind of get in.
5: Yeah, I'm 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 starting to think this is going to be one of those things where you know people not enough people heard about it when it happened, and maybe more people will hear about it after the token sale. That you know that's fine. Um, you know these things. The, you know, we're we're not uh we're not the the biggest. You know, you, I don't think you'll you'll see our banner ads everywhere like some of these other uh, token sales. Um, you know, it's just a very different. Uh, hamburger but is to use your analogy from other ha- hamburgers that are out there. Uh, you know, the, the other really big difference is most of these most of these crowd sales are just an idea. You know, they're just if somebody's white paper. You know, a lot of times they're brilliant ideas, um, but uh, it's usually just an idea. And, and the the idea of having a a company with a product that the product is making. Money, you know, and just using this as a as a way to expand um, the Coinme's operations and you know bring cryptocurrency to the masses. You know, that, that, there aren't really any crowd sales that I know of that are like that. It's very very unique. It's a, it's a, it, it's the perfect hamburger for me, and that's why that's why I bought it. And I, I hope other people will find find it the perfect hamburger for them as well. And yeah, it's uptoken.org is the uh, website. Uh, it's just um, yeah, up, uptoken.org. And um, also, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I recently reached the maximum number of LinkedIn connections. So I'm sorry for anybody who sends me a uh, LinkedIn connection. I, I have to delete someone in order to add you. Time so to go through a purge. Long. Time to purge it. Yeah. <laughs> what is the um, limit? The 30,000 connections. I have 30,000 connections in the, and they're all cryptocurrency people. Like I don't connect with anybody unless they have cryptocurrency in some way on their profile. So Quote, unquote, it's
0: cryptocurrency people. Like there's a lot of people Blockchain on experts. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not a lot of blockchain a, experts on LinkedIn. You know, just, blockchain experts.
5: And enthusiasts. You know, I, I, yeah. uh, it's not just experts, but, you know, just I, I I like to be connected to people that are interested in the same stuff as me. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, uptoken.org is the place to, to learn more about this, read our white paper and, and start start getting involved.
0: Great. Uh, uh, Go ahead, Coachella. uh,
2: Corey, you can hit him with that. I just wanted to tell him that he said something earlier where he says, I don't want to do the digging. I want to be selling shovels. And you've summed up my entire human life in one sentence. And I'm going to tattoo that on my forehead. I love that. (laughs) Nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We got one more question for you, which we ask everybody. In uh, 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain?
5: Blockchain in 10 words or less. Oh, man, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Uh, all right, so I'll preface this with my, my ideas about blockchain are different <laughs> than Perfect. most other people's. Um, let's see. I've, I've got to condense it to 10 words here. Um, if the government is in your way, use blockchain. There you go.
2: Man, nobody's ever answered that with a question. I like that.
5: Yeah. That's if the government the is in your way, use blockchain. It, basically, my thesis is if if it, blockchain is, it has a ton of different uses, most of which there's a more efficient way to do it. The only way to use the only reason to use blockchain is if some government somewhere is in the way of what you want to do. Like if I want to send money to Venezuela, the government of Venezuela doesn't want me to do that. Right. So you got to use blockchain for that. Um and i uh, I think at the root of every core blockchain usage is some sort of regulation or thing that is that is preventing someone from doing what they want to do, so uh, I hope i hope I don't get in trouble for that, but that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's my thesis
2: All right. i know you I know you've been traveling, man so go get some sleep, and we appreciate your time, man. Thank you.
5: All right, thanks, guys. It was a pleasure. Yeah.
2: and we're back.
3: Hope yeah. you enjoy that interview. Um, Bitcoin ATMs, BTMs, ATM, whatever you want to call them. Um, I, for one, just because given my life and how little I communicate with my bank and how little I, maybe that's why I'm such a believer. Of Bitcoin <laughs> stuff, just because, like, I, I've been to a bank like I can't even count how many times on my hand on my fingers, and then. Like ATMs I go to for one reason, but like you guys said, there's a lot of people out there that would have a use um, or
0: I want bring up like I want to bring up that idea like there's a like I think you're right, because we aren't in the demographic of people who would use these types of things, We have a skewed perspective, but it seems as though there there could be a use case for like the portal to the cryptocurrency world for a lot of people. Like, you know, like, like the like banking infrastructure, like le- leapfrogging banking infrastructure by just allowing Bitcoin ATMs to be spread across the world where there aren't banks. Yep. That's yeah, a, re- it's a reasonable right. thing. I didn't see that coming Like when, when you brought it up. I don't know. I can't say if I'm 100% sold on that being an actual thing, but it's a potential that I didn't see beforehand.
2: And, well, the people uh, behind it that's valuable too
0: that's why yeah. I like it yeah like it, yeah. Uh, the idea of the token is is worthwhile right like it's they're building a a network an infrastructure and then using the token to provide access to that infrastructure which yeah. if, if that if that portal is is worthwhile or something of use to a lot of people then access is of whatever you're trying to sell to that infrastructure is, is worthwhile as well. So it's, it's a kind of those buildups. So like if, if they're right about people wanting to use these things, then their token will be worth something. If they're wrong, it won't be worth anything.
3: Yeah. If you're also like, if, uh, if you're in the Bitcoin ATM or crypto ATM space and you're not calling your company Stargate, mm, you're missing an opportunity there. Agreed. I feel like I do also missing out.
0: uh is it old enough to not have maybe maybe the 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 copyright laws have been are old enough sargat's pretty old
3: if there's anything i learned from my fearless leader mr donald trump you can do anything you want with enough lawyers
2: Mm. is it pally time
3: yeah i think i think it is pally time i wasn't hanging in any dark alleys but i would love to know about this app you call pally then i'm gonna go call sally so, uh,
2: Pally uh, is our sole sponsor, and mm-hmm. what they are is they're a decentralized social travel ecosystem comprised of two parts: social and adventures. It's a mobile app that has been live since April, and Pally Adventures is basically a community marketplace where visitors can immerse themselves in new cities through unique experiences curated by local hosts. So, this podcast is all about community. So is Pally. Sounds like a pretty good marriage, so that's why uh, we pimp them out every episode. Uh, they ran a press release. <laughs> is that a bad word? I don't know For if sure. they'd like being pimped out. I think they think the relationship
3: is going the other way, but I think that's what makes us a good pimp. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Get out of line, Pally. Mm-hmm. All right. So they ran a press re- – well, <laughs> that's a good segue into the press release about abusive behavior. Uh, they don't tolerate it. So <laughs> use that app. Uh, peace of mind. It's safe. And uh, the August presale sold out in 11 minutes. So there's a lot of validity there. And uh, the crowd sale is going on. So head on over to pally.co
0: for more information. All right. I gotta, got I gotta, I'm taking this opportunity to talk about um, something quite relevant to mm-hmm. use space, which is... So I have a I have a guy that I follow on Twitter. He's a like a political science PhD who does a lot of data science and tweets a lot of stuff. But he's he's been recently tweeting about a lot of stuff um, regards to Bitcoin and and uh, Ethereum and all cryptocurrency stuff. But it seems as though wherever he's getting information, it's it's like very wrong, and he's making a lot of judgments and opinions on bad information. And he's a smart dude, but because his information source is bad, he seems to be drawing terrible conclusions. And one of the ones was on the uh, Ethereum, I wouldn't call it a hack, it could have been a hack, but the recent news in terms of how Parity's multi-signature wallet was basically shut down due to a, a... Subtle bug, I guess you can call it, which I'll explain here in a moment, and which locked up and froze about three hundred million dollars worth of ether in these smart contracts. So let me explain. Mm-hmm. Let me explain, like what actually happened. So Parity creates smart contracts. First off, they created a, a library, which is a which is a type of smart contract, which has a bunch of functions that are required to run. Their multi-signature smart contract, which is basically a way for multi-parties to um, have access to funds, so that you can't release these funds unless you know a certain amount of the people who own them can sign off. So, like, they so like, I can't send money to what is happening. You're gonna have to turn What's that on, guys.
3: What's up, man?
2: Busting in like the Kool-Aid man.
3: Jeez, man. You busted in here with the Bob Marley in the background? What's up? Google, turn off.
2: <laughs> Corey, I apologize.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'll, this is I will a bring that back up in a moment.
1: I'm this, sorry. <laughs> <This> is, oh <laughs> yeah. What's up, man? Oh, sorry,
3: yeah. guys. How's it going, man? Hold on one
2: sec. So this guy right, reached out go. to us, and uh, I think he has some stuff that he wants to talk about, but he also kind of wanted to just powwow with us and kind of join in on a conversation.
4: Oh, yeah. All right. So, sorry. I was uh, – when you sent me the the invite, I was outside playing basketball with my kid. But what, what were you guys talking about just a minute ago?
0: I'll kind yeah, of I'll, I'll, bring it, I'll bring it back up. So right now I'm talking yeah. about the parody Wallet hack and how what like, what it actually was. Okay. So – um, No, go ahead. Let me, let me continue here. So, so what happened was um, this, these smart contracts basically control a lot of Ether and one person can't take the money out unless a subset of all of the people of that smart contract agree to let them happen. So it's a great way for a lot of people to control um, the flow of money. So that's the gist of what these smart contracts do. So when you deploy one of these smart contracts that parody wrote, it is dependent upon a library, uh, a library smart contract which is previously deployed, and so you'll you'll make one, put a bunch of ether into it, and say like you know these five people have control over this money, and that smart contract is is dependent upon the light the, the library smart contract that Parity also wrote. Now, what happened was somebody basically. Call the function that they should not have access to because Parity didn't write that library smart contract correctly, which just killed the library, and so all of the smart contracts that were deployed, which were dependent upon that library, lost all functionality to take the ether out that was a part of those smart contracts. So, say for instance, me D and Cello deployed a the Bitcoin podcast smart contract using the Parity multi-signature. Uh, smart contract. We then put, you know, a thousand dollars of ether into that smart contract and said, all right, no, we're not going to take any money out of this unless we all agree that it's used for a particular cause. Now, when that library got deleted, that money is stuck in the smart contract and there's no way for us to, to take it out. And so all of the money of all of the smart contracts that anyone ever deployed that depended upon that library, is frozen. And there's no way currently, unless you hard fork Ethereum, that you can take it out. So all of those people basically just lost that money, unless Ethereum decides to hard fork, which no one who has lost money is calling for currently.
4: Yeah, no, of course they wouldn't want that. And I, I feel like I feel like that's almost helping stabilize the price because no one can be like, oh, you know, Ethereum's got security flaws. I'm I'm done with Ethereum, and uh, and it's you know they have how many million locked up in a Parity right now?
0: Like three hundred million of all the people who are suffered, and so a good portion of it is basically around three different companies, with the the vast majority of it being Parity itself.
3: Yeah. So before you respond, could you say do us a big favor just to? Just to help our egos out on a Saturday, yeah. just say, "Hey, long time listener, first time caller."
4: <laughs> Absolutely, long time listener, first time caller. appreciate uh, Appreciate you guys letting me come on. Um, been a big fan of the show, as well as uh, you know, a big fan of uh, Ken. You know what you've done with uh, just being straight to the shit and calling everyone out. Just call on it as you see it. You know what I mean? Like, there's not enough people to do that. You see all these flip floppy people in the industry that are like you know, uh, (laughs) calling everything out that is poor, that is a poor choice at one moment. Then they get a taste of some, you know, uh, some of that affiliate money or referral money. And all of a sudden they're, they're balls to the wall about some bogus company. Um, so it it was nice to see that there was someone like you who, you know, stuck to your guns and just stayed through with it even after everything that went down. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate it. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for
3: having me. So um, so how do you no, feel about this whole, like, uh, what Corey was just talking about, right? So I actually just spent a week on a project, and a lot of my colleagues were reading about Ethereum, and they were like, Ethereum is hacked. $300 million down the drain.
0: Well, that's what and these news sources you, are saying, right? Like, it, it, Yeah, it, I
4: mean, it's fake news.
0: Yeah. Well, is it <laughs> like fake Ethereum news, or is it like, did they just I, not even understand what the hell they're talking about, but they're reporting on it?
4: I, I feel like it's a... Uh, it's probably that they don't understand, and they're just grasping for some clickbaity headline. Yeah. Um, and what better than Ethereum? You know, arguably the you could say the most popular or most talked about outside of Bitcoin um, crypto that's out there. You you throw in the attack, and now you have the whole world, you know, in like in angst waiting to know what, what's going on with it and what's happening with people's money here. Yeah. You know, it's, not, it's obviously not the first time that it's happened. If it, were, if it were Ethereum that had been hacked, it wouldn't be the first time that they've had issues or security issues like that. So I feel like it would really kind of cripple um, Ethereum if it was true, if it was that it happened. Yeah, I think I'm going to branch that into something that just generally
3: irks me about um, modern day co- like media outlets and their coverage of things, period is that it doesn't take that much time to educate the masses on a thing. If you, yeah. if you just give them a few basics and, you know, like instead of saying Ethereum was hacked, like they could say something else that, because that wasn't the case, it was just somebody that like really fucked up.
4: And well, yeah, it I mean, it, it was a company, you know, parody. So, I mean, it's not like <laughs> they completely avoided putting blame on, you know, where the actual security flaw was and just went for the clickbait. No one knows who, except the users, no one in the general public knows what parity is. But if you throw yeah. Ethereum out there, then you have all the people who have been thinking about getting into crypto or just kind of did or like, oh, shit, you know, this is kind of sketchy. I don't know what's going on. Well, on top of Let that, me like, stay away from it.
0: Yeah, like people like I've read this article that was that was posted by this guy. and The guy's really smart. But the article mentioned that like. It, the, the money from all of these things was stolen by some hacker and that's definitely not the case because it wasn't yeah, isn't it just, it just locked up it's just frozen like you can't have access to it because of the way the smart contracts work but like people it, it puts a, a, a responsibility on the people who are writing these things to know what they're talking about before they write them and that's one it's not yeah. going to happen ever but like it it pisses me off that people write these things and this is the guardian. So it's like a, it's a thing that most people follow.
4: And one that has, you know, a lot of people's trust that are kind of weary about, you know, certain news or certain information that's out there due to their history with what they, you know, choose to put out. Uh,
0: It's just, it's and then smart people who read these things, then form opinions on the base technology, which is, which is just, Based that are wrong wrong assumptions in the first place. That's just bad for the whole space in total. So it's like, what the what the hell do you do?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that it. I think that the people should be. You know, a lot of these reporters are pretty active on social media, and it takes people like ourselves reaching out to them and. Informing them that they're misinforming the public, and maybe finding out if they are educated on it properly, or if they're, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of skimming through uh, articles on Cointelegraph or on uh, Bitcoin.com or something like that, and uh, you know, pulling clickbaity things from skimming through something, and just like, oh, you know, let's say Ethereum got hacked.
0: That's that's a good idea. I think that's what (laughs) I'll do after this. That'll get.
4: 2 million impressions in the, the first half of the day.
0: I'll do that this morning, after the show, and just basically call out The Guardian for being just, a, just an all-around terrible article.
4: Yeah. I'm going well, to check that out. If
3: I have some advice for you, Corey, don't do that drunkenly like I did a few years ago to some journalist uh, at MSNBC. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was embarrassing when I looked back on it. I just like read this guy's article, and he was like, Bitcoin is no better than tulips, and it's basically like buying air why would you buy air and i was like you motherfucker and i just lit into
1: this
4: guy on twitter i feel like that guy's article is like a running joke in bitcoin twitter because i see people all the time talking about you know like something to do with uh being worth tulips and stuff like that and i never even like heard that before and then until more recently when obviously all the bitcoin drama has been stirring up and everyone's Slithering out from their caves. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so so what did what did you want to bring for the round table? was there like
0: yeah like uh
4: wait, aside I, I from have... no crazy what you noise. You
0: some chips there? What are you doing?
4: Yeah, what kind of mic are you rocking over there? <laughs> Sorry, I'm actually uh I'm throwing some food in uh in a pot for my kid. I was pulling some noodles out of a bag. Ah, family a life.
3: We respect yeah. that. We do. We do. Uh, All right, go
4: what ahead. what were you drinking
3: earlier? Was it was it uh, Mountain Dew? sounded like either Mountain Dew or tea.
4: Uh, just a bottle of water.
3: Ah, shit. Okay, we were guessing
2: because we heard it. You got a great microphone. <laughs> um, super clear. <laughs> yeah, it is. I feel like you took like a bag of Tostitos, threw it on the floor, and then just walked on it.
4: <laughs> just a head, just chomping out a head of lettuce. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, sorry, go right. back to the, what did you want to bring to the roundtable?
3: Um,
4: well, before I, I, it was more relevant at the time uh, when I first reached out was with Bipati going down and kind of some of the people who, um, you know, it, it kind of how that type of setup and seeing how YouTubers grow based on those type of scams, you see that, it's attracting, or what YouTube, crypto YouTube attracts almost is like the multi level marketing, get rich quick, click baity uh, type audience, because these people are just running up. You know, you see that they'll be making great content, maybe about mining or equipment or something like that. And then mm. all of a sudden they switch to balls to the wall BitConnect investment, and you see their sub count start growing. You know, and then all of a, and they were ones that were making videos bashing it before, or they were talking about doing your due diligence and looking into um, all your programs. And now their whole their whole channel is just a channel full of ads, um, just hyip after the next one.
0: Well, <laughs> um, it, it, it makes you wonder about the motivation of the people in the first place, right? It's like they they started yeah, out yeah. saying these things to to gain an audience of authenticity, and the moment that their audience grew to a certain point and they started making money from these affiliate links of, of like real life Ponzi scams. You see that like their motivation wasn't like authentic at all. It was just like to become to either generate, famous right, yeah. or to make money.
4: Which I get it. Everyone, everyone's in it to make money. But at the same time, I, I feel like when you make videos, you know, you have like, you should, you don't have a responsibility for what other people do, but your, your viewers, you are influencing by telling them the decisions you're making and how they're positively or negatively affecting, you know, your well being or what's going on in your, at, in your life at that point in time. So if you're telling someone that you're making all this money and showing them all and kind of misleading them by showing them these huge accounts of money that are really just all referrals off your, you know, nothing investment, you invested nothing into it, but you have $10,000 made in three days. Um, it makes these people think that they're missing out and they have FOMO. It's almost like, you know, <laughs> you look at with Bitcoin when it just kept skyrocketing. All these uh, these people that were trading were shorting it and losing millions and millions of dollars uh, <laughs> leverage trading and stuff. And uh, some of the accounts that I follow on Twitter are, uh, are ones that, you know, discuss big losses and different hedges that were made and stuff like that. And you're just seeing these like, multi-multi-million dollar losses from people getting FOMO and thinking there's no way it's going to keep going or there's no way that I'll continue making this money. Um I need to get in now or I need to sell now. You know whatever it is, people not sometimes yeah. just taking a step back and zooming out on that graph and seeing where it has been and where it's gotten to or in the instance of looking at a questionable program you know, taking a day or taking a night to sleep on it and then reevaluating, really going over, uh, looking at where it was set up, if it's a registered business, if there's any type of team behind it that's known. Um, if everything's just anonymous, just a random copycat website that was purchased for $1,000 on hypsolutions.com, uh, you know, there's like, it doesn't take very long or very much investigating to find out where like a lot of the sites come from or where they're made or templates that they're getting. And you could just see, you know, the trend as they're getting made and popping up how they all are, are pretty much the same exact thing. They just change maybe a percentage rate to make it seem more believable or they make sure that they spell check everything, um, and have, have working buttons and (laughs) submetrics. It sounds like you
3: you guys are pretty passionate. I know Ken's really passionate about trying to like highlight these scams. What I would say as just a tidbit of advice to everyone that is involved in that, like, hey, this is a scam. When you're dancing with the devil, you got to be fancy feet and you got to be real sure where you put your feet to. Definitely. It's going to be hot. It's going to be hot. And if I have some advice for that whole community that's doing that, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. uh, Do it in a way. That, you know, it doesn't look like you're dancing with the devil. It looks like you're showing that the devil doesn't even really know how to dance at all. Like, yes. Be more concrete there. Be, be more concrete there.
0: Yeah. Me? Be more concrete. Yes, be more concrete. Like the, I don't. I don't get what you're saying.
3: Point out very specific instances of why it's a scam. Don't partake in it whatsoever. Like, you can't say, like, drug dealers are bad and be dealing drugs at the same time. Like, don't don't F-on. get a BitConnect account. Don't get a BitPetite account to show that the thing is a scam. That's
0: well, that a that, go, that goes into playing. Like <laughs> I, I, your your motivations may be true for something like that. And, like, but like, <clears throat> what you're actually actually doing is more bad than good in the process of doing good. Because yeah, people see the gains, and it's and they, that's all they care about. They don't give a shit. About other people, and if you would like to to make these things go away, you can't show them. Like you have to show them more more negatives than than positives. And if you just say scam and show a bunch of positives, then they're just going to see all the positives and 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 the, and think they're being savvy by understanding it's a scam, but still participating in the thing that they're
1: doing.
4: Yeah, it's funny. I you know you just saying that. I was watching uh, I don't remember who it is, but some guy's video, and he was talking about how bogus eth connect is and then he goes to his his he goes into his account on the video and he's got like over 2000 eth connect tokens and he hadn't deposited a dollar in it but he had a, a affiliate link in a video he made talking about why he thought it was a scam and then a ton of people regardless they didn't care they just saw it as you, you think it's a scam but it's probably an opportunity because you think everything's a scam and you know, went in on it anyway and made their deposits. So this guy is not making money off of referrals when he is against the company, you know. So yeah. I see what you're I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, it leaves that opportunity out there. Um Corey, did I know. clarify?
3: Was that good clarification? That was good
2: clarification.
4: Yeah.
3: Okay. Don't dance with the devil. The devil went down to Georgia looking for us. So all well. right,
2: final thoughts, gentlemen.
3: Um is this like Jerry Springer's final thoughts?
0: No. Like like a a final, final well, podcast, you start. Final you can't thoughts. call out final thoughts and then not say it. You start the, you
4: start with final this thoughts. This is the Bitcoin podcast. What do you guys think about uh, this run up over the last couple days or last week you could say of uh, of Bitcoin cash?
0: We actually just talked about that before yeah, before we you just joined do. on. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, that
3: out. I'm uh, I'm not even gonna tap into my Negrodamas skills. I just simply <laughs> think that. People are trying to take advantage of a fork, and they're trying to position, position themselves the best to do so. That's my final thought. I agree, I agree
4: thought. with you. No, I 100% agree with you. And obviously, I think that it's smart for people to realize that that's happening. Um, and just like with any other uh, token that you trade with, you know, you have to pay attention to the news and what people are saying and what's going on outside of the. The realm of the people that just love and fanboy whatever coin it is you know you have people for every for every token that are are all about it and obviously with bitcoin there's a bigger group of people that are like that so there's a lot of people that feel like if it's not bitcoin it's not worth shit or it's not worth anything and (laughs) just at least to understand that it's worth making money now um you know, anyone that sees the way that it's moving, you can see and you are looking at the people that are talking about it. You can kind of see that all of those big businesses that are, that have a huge chip on their shoulder or that we're planning this the whole time anyway, um, you know, are plotting to try and take advantage, I think, of just like you said, you know, <laughs> a forged mm-hmm. situation.
0: I got to, I got to say like, um. I'd be a hypocrite if I if I didn't feel this way now but like it's although I probably I'm still not sure or comfortable with the motivations behind how Bitcoin cash got started. Like yeah. I have been I've been a someone who's basically said if it provides a utility better than everything else then it should be used. And I'm at a point now where I see a difference between okay, like a basic scaling difference between Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin segwit. Like a Bitcoin legacy or Bitcoin proper, whatever you want to call it, and whichever one ends up providing a better utility for the people who would like to use that token, then that's the one people should use. And so, like I've, I've been saying that forever. And
4: now, see, I don't see a like it. It's a need to replace. You know, you see all these people saying Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin, and I don't think that it should be. That should be the motto whatsoever. Because if if the people behind what Bitcoin is now. You know, to not get into the politics and start talking about who they are. But if they want Bitcoin to be uh, to stay where it's at and be it's a store of value, then keep that as your model and keep working that way. And Bitcoin Cash will work as the cash value version. And the problem with that is now is you are now running into Litecoin space because that's where Litecoin played in before as the cash value version of Bitcoin where you could – quickly and fastly trans, you know what I mean? It's the same yeah. same code, just a couple different parameter changes. And you have you have Litecoin. So, you know, now you have a new competition in that kind of space and it's coming up very quickly. And, and I almost feel like they're trying to pump this price before the Coinbase thing happens, because then it'll make people double think about whether they want to dump their their Bitcoin cash into Bitcoin or whether they want to h- keep and hold on their Bitcoin cash. Because <laughs> I think that's a bi- a big fear for them is that January first, when Coinbase releases those Bitcoin Cash to their customers, and a lot of people I know have have had a lot of money or had money in there because they don't know of other wallets or they don't see a reason to use one when they don't use it for day to day commerce. Really, when they just have it to look at the value and say, "I'm going to buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Litecoin now," and I'm going to look at it and watch it grow. You know, they don't need they don't have a need for any other type of wallet. So all of those people are going to get a lot of Bitcoin cash. And if there isn't some noise made right now about it, they're absolutely going to dump it and it would crash the price.
0: You damn right. But if
4: they but if they pump it up as high as they can and then that happens and people get that Bitcoin cash and they see how much it's gone up in the value, they're definitely going to think twice about dumping it. They may want to hold on to it because they may value it more than Ethereum or Litecoin, depending on what's going on with those tokens at the time.
0: Valuable, valuable opinion there. Cello, thank you. I think we got to, we got to wrap it up. No, no. Cello can't get out of this without final thoughts.
2: Oh, um, hashtag no new friends. Hashtag no new currencies. I don't care about any of it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) What are your final thoughts? I only like, I only focus on Bitcoin. I don't care about the other currencies.
4: Okay. I respect that. Which Bitcoin? (laughs) Which Bitcoin?
2: original bitcoin OG.
0: yeah but you were what happened to what happened to cellos cellos pick of the week and the the all coins that you invested is that gone yeah
2: no no, it's there it's just i bought i bought two new currencies this past week so i'm taking a break
4: (laughs) when you put when you plug in your ledger nano do you just always click i don't know when or you click legacy when they uh when you have the choice of legacy or, I am moving
0: on to. I currently am staring at their ledger blues on my desk, and I have to ship. Yeah,
4: your ass. Can you <laughs> ship them out? Can you ship them out? I'll please? ship them this week. I can. I can. I can tell you that I. I'm with you on the whole original Bitcoin. Um, thing. Sir. and and that's why I. <laughs> I've stayed on my legacy version of uh, of the chain on my my ledger, um almost is just like a running joke like when people ask me about it but um you know i feel like there's been a lot of changes regardless of how you look at it whether you look at it a forked version or you look at the current version you know neither are the original bitcoin and i don't think either of them technically if they're going to say that they're implementing all this new stuff or bitcoin cash that's already done new things that either of them are are bitcoin
0: I think that you should – people it's should like stop a, using Satoshi's name and saying they're following the original vision. They don't fucking know. You don't know what he yeah. thought. Stop saying I that agree. shit. Yeah. It's different. They're definitely different not
3: following my vision because I I don't think you guys remember back at episode 78, 79. I said I was Satoshi and I, <laughs> believe it or fucking not,
2: I don't buy into this whole battle for Bitcoin soul. I, I, Look, just, I, I keep it OG. Is, well, I don't
3: like this, it.
4: Yeah.
2: This is what I'll say. Here's my final thought.
3: This is a brand new space. It's very young. Uh, the fact that Bitcoin, cryptocurrency in and of itself, went from a valuation of zero to $200 billion or something like that. Isn't that how much it's
4: worth now? I think yeah, it's just same. I think it's just, oh, like all crypto? All crypto. All crypto is $200 billion. Yeah, it's
3: about. $200 billion. If you guys think about that, it went
4: from zero
3: to $200 billion, okay? There is enough space. In this financial world, tech world, just general fucking how humans transact and interact and communicate with each other for all the things that are worthy.
4: So these – cryptocurrency as a community, these little – Yeah, if they like, have use cases, then they're viable, which is one I, thing I mean, that – That's
3: my, my final thought. That's my final thought. Go ahead.
4: Uh, Sorry.
3: So cryptocurrency <laughs> as a community? Stop this tribal shit. It really doesn't make any sense. If if you have the wherewithal technologically to work on a currency or a coin, work on it. Apply your skill sets to that community and see what happens. But dogging another community or bashing another community just to ensure the success of your own is a very bad tactic for longevity of the entire space. That's my final thought.
0: All right.
2: Hey, remember in the New World, the girl that played Pocahontas?
0: She didn't no do anything
2: that, much after that. No one's seen that movie.
4: Okay. In the New World.
2: Yeah, remember that movie with Colin Farrell?
4: Back me up. You seen it, right? No, no I haven't. Seen right, that nobody's one. seen that movie, Cello.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, let's wrap it up.
4: <laughs> nobody has. Nobody has a movie I, I really hey, wanted to help you there.
3: <laughs> do us a do us a favor, my man. Can you say, play the outro. Play the outro. I mean, you yeah. got to put some pizzazz on it.
1: Play the outro!